from the top of Mount Sinai. As we've made our journey through these Ten Commandments, we've pondered three realities with which we are all familiar. So far, we've uh, had the word idolatry on our minds. We've had the word iconoclasm on our minds. And we've had the word profanity on our minds. Idolatry, iconoclasm, and profanity. And we've seen that God knows that we will be tempted to worship many gods. Our hearts really are idol factories. And so he has kindly made it clear to us that he alone is to be worshipped. It's not okay to have many gods. Because there aren't many gods. There's only one God. The triune God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We have seen that God knows that we will struggle to worship an invisible God. And so he kindly has made it clear that we are to worship him without resorting to images of any kind. No images, no pictures. We've seen that God knows that we struggle to control our tongues with which we worship. And so he has wisely instructed us to be careful, to give attention to how we refer to him and use his name. We must not cheapen his name by using it in inappropriate ways. Well, today as we deal with the fourth commandment, we're going to see that in the context of our universal seven-day cycle, God wants us, for our good, he wants us to set aside regular time to rest as we worship him. And so in this study, our thoughts can really be hung on several word hooks. The word hooks that we've used up to now, as I mentioned, idolatry, iconoclasm, and profanity. Well, you choose which of these word hooks you want to use this morning. They're all helpful. The word priority, or rhythm, or rest, or routine. You may come up with some other word hooks that you think summarize this fourth commandment more appropriately. But let's think in terms of the priority, the rhythm, the rest, the routine of life that God has kindly prescribed for us. And we'll do this as we read Exodus 20. Follow with me from verse 8 to 11, the fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord, Yahweh your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and he rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. A couple of things that are immediately obvious. We love to put them on the table. That's the way I function. I try and put all the pieces of the puzzle on the table and then see how it fits together. And so you would appreciate that we have four verses here in our text passage 97 words in our ESV translation. Clearly, 
It's the longest of the Ten Commandments. And you can draw some conclusions from that. I think we should. Yahweh identifies himself three times here with the capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D designation. There's a solemnity here which is not incidental. We want to take note of this word, remember. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Regarding this day, there is the issue of setting it aside as special. We want to appreciate what that looks like. Clearly, we're being told to labor for six days. But the seventh day belongs to the Lord. Six days are ours for the purpose of work, being productive. But the seventh day belongs to the Lord. And on this particular day, no work is to be done by us. Not by us or by our family members or by our servants or by our animals or by our guests who are under our control on this day. And the motivation for this is the creation week in Genesis 2 verse 3. The fact that God rested Not that he needed to rest, but he wanted to give us a pattern that would be for our good. And God's rest marks this day as unique amongst the seven. So these are all the bits of information that we can glean from the text. And the most compact and economical way to appreciate this fourth commandment, so much can be said, I was speaking at our recent prayer fraternal to a friend of mine from Johannesburg who had preached through the Ten Commandments some months back. He spent four sermons on the Fourth Commandment. So much could be said. He's a man I trust, but we're only going to deal with this one bite of the cherry. So one of the, the most compact and economical ways of appreciating this Fourth Commandment is to think in terms of the what, the how, and the why. Verse 8 is the what. We're going to unpack these as we go. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Verses 9 and 10 are the how. Six days are there for work and one for rest, etc. The details are very specific. And then verse 11 is the why, the creation week. Why did God give us this rest? He tells us. So let's go through these what how, and why in order. Regarding the what of the fourth commandment, won't you notice, it's helpful to notice, it doesn't come to you immediately, but it's helpful to have it pointed out to you that there is a positive and a negative here. Notice the negative tone with which the commandment begins. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. But it immediately flows into a negative. On it you may not do any work. And it's interesting to note that the, the first three commandments are negative right from the, from the get-go. No other gods, no images, no misuse of the name. But the fourth commandment starts with a positive command. Remember, recall, observe the Lord's Day. We'll say more about that in a moment. 
But as we seek to give attention and obedience, and as we seek to submit to this positive command, let's just be aware of this. It's a very significant fact. That Sabbath observance predates the giving of the law. This was not the first time that God had put this principle before people. Because you'll recall, we mentioned it way back in chapter 16, if you're able to flip back to 16.22. Because there in the midst of this bread from heaven, God kindly providing for his children. Give us this day our daily bread. Verse 22 of chapter 16 of Exodus On the sixth day they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each, and when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, verse 23 tells us, he said to them, this is what Yahweh has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil, and all that is left over lay aside to be kept till the morning. So the point simply is, that this fourth commandment introduces something which we've seen already, namely this principle of rest. You can do for six days. I'll provide it. It'll be there for you. In fact, on day six, there'll be double available because day seven is a different day. For six days, you're collecting, but not on day seven. And so the reason why this is significant, there are many reasons, but I think when God says, remember the Sabbath day, he's actually saying a few things. He's at least saying to them, cast your minds back to the manna that you had and what I said to you about collecting the manna. Remember, think back. I was faithful. But he's also talking clearly in terms of the future. Observe this day. Set this day aside as special. Remember the Sabbath day. Think about the Sabbath day. Be aware of the Sabbath day. Don't let the days of the week just run away with you. Mark this day. I think that's what's being said. You appreciate the fact I was thrilled just to have this laid out for me again that not only here in Exodus 20 and 16 do we see Moses talking on behalf of God regarding the Sabbath, but in Leviticus 23, verse 3, so Exodus, Leviticus, six days shall work be done, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy convocation, you shall do no work. It is a Sabbath to the Lord in all your dwelling places. Then over in Deuteronomy, the second giving of the law. We're going to have opportunity to give attention to this further in a moment. But let me read Deuteronomy 5, 12 to 15. Observe the Sabbath day. You'll see how similar this is in the wording with one big exception at the end, observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates, that 
that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were slaves in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. The point I'm simply making is this. This principle comes through again and again and again. There can be no mistaking what God wants. Clearly, God is set on a particular day. I think we've got, to, we've, got to, we've got to at least take that into our worldview. All days are not alike. But beyond that, let's appreciate God's kindness and genius in creating the category of a week. And I'm wanting to speak very carefully here because Hubert is going to be listening very carefully to exactly how I say this. Hubert and I are on the same page, but I don't want to stumble over my words here. But the point of the matter is that a day, the concept of a day, 24 hours, comes from the earth's rotation or apparent rotation relative to the celestial bodies around it. You can measure a day cosmologically. A month is more or less gauged by the lunar cycle. God's design. You can tell what a month is. If you lose your calendar and you're stuck in a desert... You can observe the shape of the moon to know where you are in time. So a day, a month, cosmological realities. And the same is true of a year. A year is the result of the earth's journey around the sun. Or the sun's journey around the earth, depending on whether you believe in geocentrism or heliocentrism. It's another conversation. A valid conversation, incidentally. But the point simply is this. In terms of cosmological realities in the creation, God has given us days and months and years. But here in the fourth commandment, he gives us the concept of a week. If it wasn't for the fourth commandment, we'd have no concept of a week. The seven days. The seven-day cycle. And so the fourth commandment, friends, is about cycles. The cycle of work and rest. It's about rhythms, six and one. It's about patterns, distinctions between the days. It's about planning, being deliberate and submissive in your preparation and your positive anticipation. I trust you see that. I don't think you can really get your teeth into your observance of the fourth commandment until you understand what is actually going on here in God's economy. These issues of cycles and rhythms and patterns and planning are not incidental to God's being and to God's revelation of himself. They're not incidental to the Christian life either. And so now we're all aware that part of what makes this fourth commandment and its observance controversial, and isn't it amazing how quickly this issue of controversy comes onto the screen? Maybe you can identify that when you 
heard that I was speaking about the fourth commandment, you said, seatbelt on, right, persuade me. This is controversial. Christians have, and especially in our own day, this issue is controversial. Why? Because under the old covenant prior to the resurrection of Jesus, the Sabbath referred to the seventh day of the week, namely Saturday. But no reader of the New Testament can possibly fail to notice that very soon after Christ rose from the dead, believers began to meet on the first day of the week, the Sunday, and they called it the Lord's Day. So this transition between the day, Saturday and Sunday, and the Sabbath and the Lord's Day is part of what makes this controversial because some people in our day are saying, no, 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 you guys, are, you guys have allowed yourself through paganism to be drawn to the Sunday. It should be the Saturday. I'm not going to enter into that. But you can't deny that there is a, a move. You see it in the Scriptures. You see it in church history from observance of the Sunday to of the Saturday to the Sunday. And you see it in the scriptures, the Old Testament reference to the Sabbath and the New Testament reference to the Lord's Day. You've got a feature that's in your theology somewhere, somehow. You would explain it. What does it mean? What are the implications of it? And to my way of thinking, you don't have to agree with me. But all the things that happened on the Lord's Day as part of the new covenant are remarkable. I mean, just think with me for a moment. Don't you find it amazing that the Lord rose from the dead on Sunday? He could have risen on the Saturday. But of course you would argue that there are all kinds of prophecies, etc., etc., and the, 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 the Good Friday and the, the Passover, etc., etc. But the reality is, that the church went for Sunday because that was the day Christ rose from the dead. In addition to that, the Holy Spirit was poured out on the day of Pentecost. When? On the first day of the week, the Sunday. In the book of Acts, we see recorded for us that the disciples gathered on that first day of the week. Many of these people were Jews who had been absolutely inundated and, and, and brainwashed into Saturday, Saturday, Saturday but they seem to click over to Sunday very quickly. That's not insignificant. The Apostle Paul told the believers at Corinth to set aside their tithes and offerings to be gathered when? On the first day of the week. The Apostle John received his revelation of Christ on the island of Patmos when? On the first day of the week. And he specifically there read recognizes this and calls it the Lord's Day. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. What I'm saying to you is you've got to somehow make space in your understanding for a distinction between the Sabbath and the Lord's Day. The one is not a reflection of the other. There may be issues of continuity and discontinuity, but you've got to work this out for yourself. Benjamin Warfield, a theologian who matters to me explained the transition of the day like this. I like this phrase. He says, when he died, Christ Jesus took the Sabbath into the grave with him and brought the Lord's day out of the grave when he arose. I find that a helpful statement. So, so much for the what. 
regarding the how of this fourth commandment, how does this all fit together? Well, this is where Jesus seemed to focus so much of his intentional confrontation toward the religious establishment of his day, he purposely did things on the Sabbath. Don't you find that interesting? As you read the Gospels, you feel that Jesus had an agenda. He was getting at the religious establishment. Why? Because they were so self-confident. They were so self-justifying. They were so swaggering and cocky and self-assured because they had all their ducks in a row. They had built up this, this plethora of rules as to what is work and what isn't work. And it's quite ridiculous whether you can switch a light on or not, how far you can travel, what is work and what isn't work. This much is not work, but as soon as you add that, then it's work, then you can't do it ridiculous. And clearly Jesus was wanting to make a comment about that. He was getting up their noses specifically on that issue. And yet having said that, don't you find it interesting that when Jesus died and he was placed in the tomb, the ladies wanted to go and embalm his body, but they were sensitive to the fact that it was the Sabbath. And so they went home and they waited until after the Sabbath the first day of the week, and then went to the tomb. So there was a sensitivity about the Sabbath, but clearly Jesus was in the process of bringing about a transition away from the Sabbath. Still today, believers seem most absorbed with this question of how do we observe the day? What may we do and what mustn't we do? Well, I'm going to speak more about that in a moment. So let's go then, thirdly, to the why of the fourth commandment. When it comes to the reason given by God for this fourth commandment, we must take note of our text. And Jesus explains, or, or God explains the reason here as creation, that he himself rested on the seventh day. But as I pointed out a moment ago in Deuteronomy 5.15, when the commandment is restated, the reason given is not creation, but it's now redemption. You were slaves in Egypt, and I rescued you. So clearly, the reason for why is twofold. God's rest on in the creation process, but also the rest that God has given slaves from their slavery in redemption. And so the Sabbath rest, the principle is a paradigm rooted both in creation and in redemption. It looks back to a good creation, and it looks forward to a final Sabbath rest for God's people. Do you begin to get a sense that it's a wonderful privilege for Christians to observe the Sabbath because we're honoring God who is our creator and we're honoring God who is our redeemer, who has brought an eternal rest for his people. But let's also be mindful of the principle that Jesus so clearly stated in Mark 2.27 that the Sabbath was made for man not man for the Sabbath. 
that needs to come into the conversation. It's not meant to be a, a heavy burden. It's meant to be a glorious gift. The Sabbath was made for man. We could go deeper and speak about calling the Sabbath a delight. If time wasn't against us, I'd take you to Isaiah 58, verses 13 and 14, where God promises blessings for those who regard the Sabbath as a delight to them. We could speak, if time allowed, regarding our identity and the Sabbath observance as an indicator of identity in Exodus 31, 13. That the people of God observe the day of God. Why? Because they observe the rules of God and the patterns of God and the rhythms of God. And so the Sabbath clearly is an opportunity to show God how much we trust Him to provide for us on day seven the way He has provided for us on day one to six. So you choose not to generate an income on day seven because you don't have to. God who took care of you for six days will clearly provide for you on day seven. God who sent manna for six days will send you enough to carry you through the seventh day. I love what the Puritans said when they referred to the Lord's day. They referred to it as the market day of the soul. It's a lovely thought, isn't it? That you're busy producing all these crops in the course of the week and then you bring them to market on the Lord's day. You give them to God. This is my life. Here I am. And so we're all aware of the ditch on either side of this road. On the one side, there is the ditch of total disregard of the fourth commandment. We're seeing that all around us. In so many churches, there is no reference at all to the fourth commandment. The best that, some, that many people do is they say there are still nine commandments, but the fourth commandment, no. I think that's a ditch don't go into that ditch. But on the other side, there is another ditch. There's the antinomian, the anti-law ditch on the one side, but there's also the legalistic ditch on the other side where we can so easily become like Pharisees and we can fastidiously multiply all kinds of rules that bind each other's consciences. Don't go to the shops on this day. Don't do that. Don't wear this. Don't Go to the beach, don't play this, don't mow your lawn, blah, blah, blah. We've all grown up with that, haven't we? That's just legalism. We don't want to be legalists, but we also don't want to be antinomians. So how do we walk a path in ways that glorify God? Well, three points of practical application, and with this we'll move to the pool. Number one, this is a day, friends, that helps us by reminding us that we are not God. We are not God. We can't sustain ourselves. We can't provide for ourselves. We need rest. And God doesn't need our constant contribution in the world. We can afford to slack off and rest for a day. God will do it. We need the rest and where people work and work and work and work, and they don't have these cycles and these rhythms in their lives, they run into problems, they break down. Society has proven this again and again over human history. But in addition, let's be absolutely determined. And I want to lead you in the way as your pastor. 
let's not bind other people's consciences about the use of the Lord's day. Let's not stand in judgment on one another. You do what you think is fine on the Lord's day. It's between you and the Lord. If you're happy to swim on the Lord's day, fine. Go and enjoy the beach. If you're happy to do this, that, or the next thing on the Lord's day, you do it. It's between you and the Lord. We are not here to bind each other's consciences regarding the observance of this day. And we could speak here from Romans 14 and from Colossians chapter 2. But having said that, let me rather say this. Let's work hard to make Sunday an island of get to. This is a day that we get to rest. We get to visit people. We get to serve people. We get to worship God with God's people. We get to walk and read and rest. We get to do these things. Let's make the the Lord's Day an island of get to rather than an ocean of have to. Because the world puts that kind of pressure on us. Our bosses put that kind of pressure on us. Economic realities put that kind of pressure on us. You have to, you have to, you have to. Now we have a little island of get to in this ocean of have to. What a glorious gift God has given to his people. Don't you find it interesting? Louis, thanks for sending us to that documentary on on Eric Little. We all know the story in Chariots of Fire, the British Olympic athlete who refused to compete on the Lord's Day. You know where Chariots of Fire was wrong is they made out as if Eric Little really wrestled in his heart, should he, shouldn't he, should he, shouldn't he. That's not true. Historically, it was an absolute done deal. It was settled for him. If the race is on a Sunday, count me out. He joyfully did it. There was no have to. He gets to. He gets to be with God's people. He gets to identify himself as a Christian who knows the fourth commandment is in the Bible. And he joyfully, as a missionary to China, he's much better known being a proclaimer of gospel truth than an athlete who simply refused to run on one particular day. Isn't it amazing how we love the story of Eric Little? We love the story of the discipline of the Muslim shop owner who closes his shop at a particular time. He's willing to take the economic knock. But when it comes to Christians, we are quick to blur the lines pragmatically. Secondly, the second practical issue, the first one, this is a day that God reminds us that we are not God. But secondly, let's celebrate the resurrection. And as we celebrate the resurrection, let's emphasize our identity as Christian worshipers who are resting in the Lord. Let's appreciate Hebrews 4, 9, and 10, that there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for whoever has entered into God's rest through conversion, through repenting of their sins and coming to Christ the Savior, all such people have rested from the work of trying to earn their salvation. That's the gospel. We can celebrate the resurrection because it was in the resurrection that Christ justified those for whom he died. Those for whom, those who, who are looking to him for 
righteousness. Let's appreciate the gifts of God, the household of faith, the support of community, the means of grace in corporate worship. Let's celebrate the resurrection by being together on the day that Christ rose from the dead. What can be more appropriate? What can be more fitting? What can be more nourishing to our souls? And then thirdly, and finally, let's keep Sunday spiritually productive. Work hard at this. It must be a spiritually productive day. It mustn't be an exhausting day. It mustn't be a chore. It mustn't be a burden. Hebrews 10.25 tells us, do not neglect meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. It's easy to get into the habit of doing your own thing. So easy. But you will be the loser ultimately. May God help us to have an other's orientation, to invite people to our home so that we can exercise the gift of hospitality, to be involved in acts of mercy and service. Here's a final thought. Is it not interesting the evangelistic value when you have unsaved relatives living with you to tell them, listen, look after yourselves from 9 until 11.30, we go to church on the Lord's Day. And then to go and to come back And then have them maybe say, sure, that's interesting that you would choose to go to be with those people. Can't you do that every Sunday? Isn't our being here special? Yes, it is. But I don't want to miss out on the means of grace. I don't want to miss out on seeing my heavenly co-dwellers. Actually, God has made me more in tune and attached and affectionate towards spiritual brothers and sisters than to my own blood relatives. I love you, my my brother, my sister. If you don't come to Christ, we're going to be separated for eternity. Do you realize that? And I just went to prefer my spiritual family, knowing that I could come home to you at 11 o'clock. And here you are. Let's enjoy the rest of the day together. You see the point? There's wonderful evangelistic potential here. Well, we must close. We're about to witness three people testifying with their bodies that they belong to Jesus Christ. And in our humble submission to this fourth commandment, let me put it to you this way, that we get a weekly opportunity to demonstrate with our bodies and our minds and our homes that we belong to Christ who rose from the dead on the first day of the week. Join with me in gladly embracing the God of the fourth commandment. Let's pray together. Lord, we do thank you for all the issues that come up in our minds in terms of our culture, in terms of our Christian history, in terms of our past personal experience. You know how some people were raised by parents who had a list of do's and don'ts. You know how often guilt can overwhelm us. We thank you for the island of get to in the ocean of have to. Bless us and help us. Train us. Give us joy in serving you, in worshiping you together, in gathering together and making this day with all its rhythms and its patterns glorious. In Jesus' name, amen.